stupid cancer show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Monday, July 1st, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. That's 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On tonight's show, we have Selma Schimmel and Vital Options. Selma is often hailed as the original young adult survivor advocate, originally diagnosed with breast cancer at 20 in 1983. The founder of Vital Options, a not-for-profit with a mission to facilitate a global cancer dialogue, Selma's 30-year effort to right the wrongs in our healthcare system go unabated. Joining Selma will be Terry Wilcox, creative director and supervising producer of The Group Room. And in our Survivor Spotlight, we have David Dorfman. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a non-profit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Stupid Cancer Show as we come to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. Hello, Annie and Kenny. Hello. How are you? Hello, Maureen. Hello. Got the full compliment tonight. We have a full house. And Dr. David Dorfman live in studio. Hello, sir. Uh, good evening, Matt. A pleasure to be here. Yes. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now you shut up and we'll... I'm kidding. Hmm. <laughs> David, we love having in-studio guests because face-to-face, we make eye contact. It's always nice. So guilt to all of those people who have been calling in for seven years. Shame on all of you for Indeed. not living in New York City. And not flying here to see us. Or biking from Princeton, as David did. <laughs> yeah, he does get the for people who are bike ride to the show away. Did, yeah. did you really bike here from Princeton? Yeah, I biked from Princeton to Newark, took the path train into the city. Very Why don't nice. you tell our listeners who don't have a map how insanely far that is? It's only about 42 miles from Princeton up to Newark. Only. And the insane humidity that is July in New York City slash New Jersey. Where's your bike right now? Parked right outside, locked up with uh, a cable lock and a U-lock. They wouldn't let you bring it upstairs? 
No, no, no. New York City. The mayor wants everybody to bike, but you can't bring a bike into any building in town. Really? Well, you smell great. (laughs) (laughs) One night that maybe you should have called in. That was the the run through Central Park when I parked the bike uptown. Right. You'd call from outside by the bike lock. Oh, I see. So you did like your own triathlon before you got here. Yeah, you did. did. Uh, Well, the swim was just in the pouring rain on the way. The Hudson River. The Hudson River, people. Mm -hmm. The Hudson River. Anyway, welcome aboard. We'll uh, we'll get to your segment in a few minutes, but I wanted to uh, briefly talk about with well Annie and Kenny and Maureen. We did a very famous, uh, fabulous kind of soft launch this past week, announcing officially the dates for the seventh crazy to say seventh annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in Las Vegas next year, April twenty five, six, and seven. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get those dates wrong yeah, on the 25, air. 25, 26, 27. April 25th, 26, 27th, live at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas next year. The website is omg2014.org. That feels like 100 years away. It'll be here yesterday. I know. Right? You're right. It's going to be here before we all know it. We were talking about 2013 this time last year, and it's like, then it's, now it's over. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're it's right. 297 days away. It's fine. You already have a countdown? Yeah, he, he beat Allie to a club. I, 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 I plugged it in Allie. over the uh, over the weekend at our little strategy retreat. That is quite impressive. Yeah, it's uh, we're going back to a two and a half day format. It's going to be incredibly amazing. We have so many interested people, um, and the uh, I guess I call it the wake of the the like the water, the wake behind a boat after OMG 2013 is still incredible. The energy of the groups. And the social meetups. Um, mm-hmm. It's been great. And we're just sort of feeding the buzz and making sure people get to mark their calendars, save the dates in advance, mm-hmm. and uh, get ready to gird your loins for the OMG. Get last, ready to gird your loins. OMG gird them yet. Last Vegas. It's only Las Vegas if they don't give us $10 million. Correct. And then we're staying. Correct. Correct. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So probably. They can buy us out. Well, well, we can be bought. We are a charity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Um, we also had a wonderful special event this weekend, the, I don't know, the nth annual uh, Stupid Cancer Strategic Planning Summit. I think it was the, the third or fourth one I've been to. Yeah, yeah. But not necessarily annual. No, not annual. Sometimes. Yeah. But this was a really epic meeting of the minds. It was great. We brought together 15 of the, uh, well, the board and staff, some new board members, but some really impressive stakeholders to come to New York Mm-hmm. Uh, to be part of this all-day conference on a Saturday in June, lots of dedication. But there was air conditioning. There was, and there was, was mm-hmm. there was uh, glasses of wine after the event, and mm-hmm. it was wine. Exactly. It was lovely. It was good wine. But we we basically sat down to really try to build and structure out what the next five years of the organization's impact will be, mm-hmm. could look like, how that might happen, and how all of you out there in listener land might contribute to our growth and progress if you've already benefited from what we do or if you have not or want to help someone who does need to know that we exist. So Yeah, so we had a lot of great ideas come out of it. We're really excited coming out of it. Yeah. And, of course, we did all of our work on note cards, so my job today was transcribing all of that. Oh, it, was, <laughs> Real it, was, document. it reminded me of my old agency days, back when you literally had to – I mean, mm-hmm. even when there were still computers, you actually used pens and paper. Yeah. That's never going away. Matt hasn't touched a note card in – Years. Actually, excluding Saturday, that is correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, was in, I was inspired to make stupid cancer pencils. Oh, really? We should maybe we should oh, get. Oh yeah, some I pencils. did use a pencil. That was interesting. Back to those good karma guy pencils that we yes. still have lying around somewhere. Yes. 
<laughs> Don't even ask me. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a three lifetimes ago. Mm-hmm. And my I was on vacation last week, which was uh, a first in a long. In I a was while. Gonna, yeah, we were not here. I was, was not here last no. last week. Yes. That's why I got to sit next to Maureen. Yes. Yeah, it was good. Girl power. Mm-hmm. So what did you do in your first ever downtime? I had a uh, a staycation of sorts. I went to the beach and, uh, you know, just hung out around the house a bit, kind of looked at the walls for hours on end. And, and yet, whilst on vacation doing no work at all, yeah, you I, won this crazy-ass award. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found out Monday night, I think Monday or Tuesday, that the event which would take place that Thursday... Uh, I was a finalist, one of five, for the. I always get it wrong. Young nonprofit professional, professional network, network nonprofit tier of the year. Yes, yes. And and I won. <laughs> Yay! For all of the long hours and the uh, the miles that I've put in for this organization, I suppose. I could well not deserved. think of anyone more well-deserved well, thank you. than yourself. Congratulations. Thanks. Except possibly me, but uh, well, I'm not a young nonprofit. If you say so yourself. <laughs> you had to be under 35. Yeah, I ain't young anymore. So That disqualifies me right away. Maybe you'd but he's be still like, in the young adult range. No, no. We, I want to get you under like a 30 under 30 award. I was going to say you could be 40 under 40 maybe. No, th- those are not as cool as the 30 under 30 awards. Yes. Well, I still have uh, three and a half years. Yeah, and I got like... Nine months left. Yeah, <laughs> <So> <laughs> might ain't happening. I need to create an app or something. Forty-one under forty-one. Can we do that? Yeah, we invent that award. Featuring Matthew Zachary. I'm gonna give you a golden, a golden bagel with locks. That very nice, very nice, very nice. Um, but I before I wanted to mention one more quick thing, which is that um, we've had them on the show twice in the last couple of years, and I went to an, an event with Liz Wolf, our awesome, fabulous uh, development director, consultant person. And uh, it is for Camp Kesem. And for those of you not aware, Camp Kesem is, uh, it's well, it's a camp. It's a retreat for children whose young adult parents are dealing with cancer. So basically, every time that we have a session on parenting with cancer, the children of those young adults should know about Camp Kesem because it's a, a, like a respite for them to be with other children whose parents may have passed or whose parents are very sick. All ages, I think up to 15, and it's really a miraculous experience. There's nothing yeah. quite like it in the country that I'm aware of. And uh, I was there with Liz because um, Jane Sakara, who's their uh, founder and executive director, lost her sister to colon cancer when her sister was 35 with three young children. And it's really a tearjerker, heartbreaking story. But what they've been able to build has been truly meaningful. And, and my goal is to help raise awareness for the services because it ties directly into our patient service model. Young adults affected by cancer have the right to know about age-appropriate resources. And how much more age-appropriate is something to deal with, help your children navigate and connect appropriately while you are going through this as a parent to the 4-year-old or Mm 5-year-old. So kudos to Jane and Kent Kessem. Huge shout-out to them tonight. Um, And uh, we will be hearing from them very shortly, doing some very cool things with them. Hopefully around OG 2014. Um, although I can promise you, Kenny, there will no, be no kitty camp part of OMG in Vegas. We could set up a little inflatable that would, that would pool be weird. in the parking lot. <laughs> <All right. laughs> now, I want the, the big inflatable yeah, Titanic. The Titanic. The Titanic. Is that what it is? It's an inflatable moonbound Titanic. Well, it's the most socially inappropriate, too soon, you know, kitty toy imaginable. Well, it will certainly sink in Las Vegas. If it's, uh, <laughs> if one they thing. can always hang out. Maybe they can get like a special 
time period they can hang out at the uh, at the Palms pool because right. it gets kind of ridiculous over there. It's too ridiculous, isn't it? There's a little night. twerking. Yeah, happening. <laughs> a little twerking. A lot of twerking. Ratchet. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be diplomatic about this. Very nice. We should, we should have a, a twerking breakout at OMG. I don't. Even, I'm too old. What is twerking? You it's like a booty dance. dance. It's oh. uh, it, it's a gravity defying, uh, <laughs> rump shaking dance. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Well, if that's uh. On that now, note. On that note, the best segue possible. David Dorfman. <laughs> he's, a cycl- he's a cycling twerkist. <laughs> he was 39 when diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma, and at the time he was a newly married practicing attorney billing as many hours as he could, enjoying life on the couch, watching TV in his off hours. Seven years later, he's still here and joins us tonight having biked from Princeton. Google map it, folks, to New York City. Please welcome my friend and yours, the one and only David Dorfman. Welcome. Esquire. So, you're looking fit. Ah, thank you. It's uh, exciting to be here, and I am uh, now just under four weeks out from Ironman Switzerland, so I'm glad to be uh, trained and race ready. Can you tell everybody what an Ironman is? Because it, like, blows my mind. That that isn't Robert Downey Jr. It's camp for adults. So it's swimming, biking, and running, and Ironman is just doing a lot more of it. So it's long course, 140.6 miles, 2.4 miles swimming. For this one, it'll be in Lake Zurich, 112 miles on the bike, biking through the mountains, and in the early evening, you run the marathon, 26.2 miles. In the evening. I think I've done the equivalent of a food challenge, but nothing quite that <laughs> for, And for the nightcap, we run a marathon. Right. <laughs> now, this is probably my stereotype of Switzerland, but isn't Lake Zurich cold? Lake Zurich is really cold. I went out oh. about a month ago to scope it out, and I usually race in a sleeveless wetsuit. And I oh, just you should get some sleeves for that. sleeve one, because that lake is cold. So you won't wow. be wearing the Team Stupid Cancer jersey that you're currently wearing? Well, I can wear the jersey on the marathon part of the course, excellent, but excellent. not in the lake. Excellent. Ah. We will need all the pictures We're that gonna you... We're going to have to uh, make, a, <laughs> we'll make a Team Stupid Cancer wetsuit or something. Mm-hmm. For James Cameron? I mean, for, for when he when dives he, down to the Titanic. Well, that too. <laughs> He's bringing it full circle. James yeah. Cameron throws people in there. He's not the one jumping in. That's right. Okay, <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, all right, so 39, yeah. working attorney, living the dream, uh, newly married. Everything was going just fine. It's, it's Oz. I was shaving one morning, getting ready for work, and felt a lump, had to move the razor, didn't think anything of it. It was there the next day, and I started playing with a uh, hard spot in my neck, and something told me to call the doctor. And uh, Had you had any previous weird medical stuff ever before that? I was feeling great. I couldn't remember the last time I'd been to the doctor. I had a health insurance card in my pocket, thank goodness, but I'd never used it. Wow. Out of the blue. I went to see the primary care physician, almost hoping that that lump would still be there so I wouldn't be a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Like the episode of Seinfeld when he puts the uh, the bomb after he gets the coffee burns. Yes. Who told he put the bomb on the coffee burns? But right. not quite. Kenny, Kenny gets crickets for that one. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that one. 
the idea that it would still be there by the time he got there. That's okay. Interesting. Anyway, so you go to the, the the primary care physician, and he's never met you before. Never met me, and I have a feeling that this uh, wonderful old gentleman knew right away but didn't tell me on the first day. Okay. And instead went through the natural process, sent me to an ENT, and I needed a blood test. At the time, I was terrified of needles, so that blood test was an epic change in my life because it <laughs> meant a needle. Oh, wow. That was the first of many to come. Yeah, now, <laughs> now I'm ready to do it myself. But yeah. at the time, that needle was life-changing. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's all about self-flagellation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the uh, end of the week, I was in a uh, laboratory after the biopsy watching a tech write lymphoma on the report and I remember saying that sounds like cancer. Had you ever heard that word before? I, I'd never heard lymphoma particularly. I'd never thought about it. It just had this cancer ring to me with <laughs> the connection. You're like, that doesn't sound good. Uh, no, no, no. I remember yeah. the next day coming in and thinking I'm really standing on the wrong side of this desk. Looking around and seeing the other patients wow. and Suddenly realizing I was in for, I didn't know what, but I uh, imagined the worst, of course. Mm-hmm. Were they nice to you? They all seemed so businesslike, and there were so many patients. Right. What hospital is this? Uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so your primary care physician basically said, you have to go here now. Yes. Okay. So you're at Sloan, and they're being very businesslike. Yep, I remember looking around, seeing the other patients, and some of them were having a much harder time. So as much as there were, there was a woman near me who was crying and being consoled by her boyfriend, and I remember thinking, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But I remember thinking, wait a minute, I should be crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're allowed to cry. It's okay. Was your wife with you? My wife wasn't with me, so one of the things I remember thinking as I stood outside after I'd had the diagnosis was I remember thinking, I don't have to call from here. I don't have to call from the hospital. She's at work. I thought, go home first. Right. Just try to get home. And I remember calling my office and telling my assistant, an associate attorney that was my right-hand woman at the time, that I wasn't coming back in in the afternoon. And right away she said, what was wrong? Right, of so course. She was the first person I told because she could hear in my voice that something was wrong and yeah. my not coming back to the office was unusual. Yes. So how quickly between the that like first date at Sloan did you start your chemo? Uh, I, I did the surgery first. So okay. it was only a few days before I was in for surgery. And then only a few days after that that I was in for the first chemo. So it all happened in a whirlwind so quickly. Do you have insurance issues at the time or everything was sort of... I was very fortunate that I had health insurance. I'd never used it. And it seemed to cover so many of the bills, not everything. Right. So it ends up by the uh, end of the process that cancer is hugely expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the dental work has a long-term survivorship effect. Did they I... make you get a fluoride treatment before everything started? I did have a fluoride treatment, yeah. but that still didn't save many of the teeth that yeah. were in the radiation line mm-hmm. and the bone loss. Yeah. Yeah, I think before I started chemo, I had to cram in like $2,000 with the dental work. Yeah. Because you can't have anything done while you're in treatment because of risk of infection. Exactly. 
I haven't been back since. This is my reminder. You haven't gone to the dentist in over a year and a half? No, a year. A year? And change. Maybe, whoops. Whoops, exactly. (laughs) Now it seems like I go back every month or two. Yeah. So did they give you, I mean, I hate when they do this, but did they give you, did you ask, what are my odds? Did you ask, am I going to die? Oh, I was was sure I was going to die. And why? Cancer. So cancer, in my mind at the time, meant death. Okay. You have cancer, Mm -hmm. suffering, slow, long, painful death. Everyone would suffer with me, and there would be nothing I could do about it. When I actually looked at my staging, I went to one of the drug company websites to find a chart and look at my five-year survival rate. Dr. Google. So, yep, yep. I remember being very fortunate, and I had a friend who was a physician, and I got into his hospital's website, and through that, the drug company's website, and I was looking at a chart, and... I had almost an 80% chance of being alive in five years. And how long have you been alive? Ah, I've been alive seven plus at this point (laughs) and and feeling terrific today. So one of the things that I thought about as I looked at that chart and thought 20 plus percent chance of not being around is I thought, what can I do to change the odds? How can I help myself move up this chart and get into a better box? Okay. And what did you change about your lifestyle? It was so many things. So I was a a typical lawyer billing as many hours as I could, sleeping very few hours, going to martini bars in the evening, and indulging in all of our wonderful New York City restaurants. And one of the things that happened to me very early on in the process is I was in chemotherapy and saw a patient who looked better than everybody else in the chemo suite. She had more skin color, more vibrance. She was busy typing away on a PDA, probably a Blackberry at the time. But it seemed like the IV was only an inconvenience. And she wasn't crying. She wasn't terrified. She didn't look scared. And I remember bothering her and asking her what was her secret. What was she doing different from everybody else? How could she do so brave? But she was on the same chemo protocols as the other people. They were injecting, pushing the same bright fluorescent orange chemotherapy into her veins just like mine. Right. She had the drip that lasted for hours just like me. Right. But she was taking it better than everybody else. And her response? She said, come join my team her triathlon team. And I thought that was crazy. And I said, maybe when all this is over, I'll run the marathon. And at the time, that was just a line to talk to a pretty girl. Hmm. I had no intention of running a marathon. But had she, you ever walked more than at pace prior to your diagnosis? I, I walked to the subway every morning. <laughs> on the way to work. I walked up and down the stairs in the subway platform. All right, right. But but I'd never run a race of any kind. So she happened to be part of a marathon team. She was part of a marathon and a triathlon team. And she said, come join my team. And that Saturday, I went to my first ever practice. And I didn't really talk to anybody. I didn't tell anybody I had cancer. I just tried to run that first mile. And, of course, it went very badly. Mm-hmm. I was uh, exhausted, uh, chafed wearing cotton clothing, didn't get far, 
was heaving at the side of the road. Right. But I kept going back week after week, again and again, and met the coaches on the team. And I remember running through Central Park, running up one of the hills in Central Park, a hill called Cat Hill. Is that in the northeast corner of the park? That's uh, on the east side. Okay. It's on the east side, but it's just north of 72nd Street. I think I've I've endured that during the New York City half. Yep, one of the the steep hills, oh. and, and I was running up the hill, and the coach walked over to me. That's how slow I was running. The coach <laughs> walked over, and he yelled, Dorfman, put some effort into it. And I remember saying, I'm sorry, coach, I'm just feeling all chemically. And that pissed him off. He didn't know. He said, chemically, and I said, yeah, that yesterday had been a chemo day. And all of a sudden, that had some impact and had some cachet with the coach. He you said, pulled the cancer card. I pulled the cancer card. Uh, and he took me under his wing and began teaching me how to run, how to pace myself, what clothes to wear, how to wear the uh, the anti-chafing cream, how to hydrate and fuel and listen to my breathing. And slowly, even as I went through treatment, I had the experience of getting stronger even as I was getting weaker. So I felt the cumulative effects of the chemo and then the radiation, but I also felt the endurance growing and a better understanding of how my body was responding to the exercise. It it really had a big impact in helping me tolerate treatment. What about what about food? Did you did this individual and the members you met on this this team, you know, notice you eating you know, snacking on Twinkies and drinking more martinis, or did you just cold turkey everything? Well, it, it very slowly had a, a tremendous impact on my diet. So we'd had something in my office manual which said if it got to be 2 o'clock and I hadn't eaten lunch, that someone had to order lunch for me because I'd get cranky and start yelling at class. <laughs> <laughs> but slowly with the marathon team and with the triathlon training, I changed my dietary habits And I began thinking about food as race fuel. So I thought about fueling the exercise. So I thought about what I need to eat before I worked out and what I'd need to eat after I worked out, what I'd need to eat in the morning. And who guided you on that? The coaches for my team were were tremendous guides. Okay. We need some coaches, Matt. We need coaches. I'm like in awe right now. (laughs) I could listen to you talk about this forever. Well, I certainly didn't do it alone, and I love talking about it. So my favorite thing is coaching patients who are currently in treatment or who have just finished their treatment and are beginning their rehab or five years out of treatment. What, 18 years out of treatment? 18 years out of treatment. (laughs) I finished in November 30th, 2012. It's important for, for everybody because the rehab schedule, the rehab process takes so much time. There's such a long mm-hmm. tail or lag from treatment to getting our strength back. Did they talk you through, or first of all, what was the duration of your your, your, round, your rounds of chemo? I went for chemo every two weeks for 16 weeks. Okay. And was there additional after that? Or how, then how were your scans following that? Then I did six weeks of radiation. Okay. 
and then the first PET scan following treatment. And how was that PET scan? And it came back no evidence of disease. Wow. And everyone since has come back no evidence of disease. So you've had no additional chemotherapy? I've had no additional chemotherapy. But tons of scans? Yes, yes, yes. Regular regular scans. So right. I still go in. Now it's annually. Well, so that's good. It was every three months and then every six months and now only once a year. I've officially been told no more scans, 18 years. Yeah, I was oh, going to my. ask, when's your divorce from your doctor's? <laughs> oh, one of the things about Sloan Kettering is that they say that they're going to keep me forever. Okay. So one of the issues with blood cancer is that we only talk about no evidence of disease, but I know mm. my body has the ability to produce the cancer. Right. Right. Which is that's one of the reasons. And that's how a lot of us feel when you fight cancer, that, any of any type of cancer. That's one of the reasons I'm so concerned about diet and exercise because I'm constantly scheduling the next race and using that as a way to think, what can I do to keep my immune system as strong as possible? So I'm always thinking, what's my diet supposed to be? I'm doing a farm share now, a CSA in Princeton, so I've got tons of great fresh green vegetables, and I'm always thinking about exercising and recovery from exercise so I don't do too much and weaken my immune system, Mm -hmm. but I'm always thinking have the strongest cancer-fighting body I can. All right, so we have about two minutes left for your your piece, and you can chime in during the other segments, of course. What would you say to, I mean, I anecdotally would say that you're an anomaly. Not a lot of people in chemo on their, like, first week meet a marathon coach person, ironically, who just helps them understand life with chemo as a, you know, taking care of you. It's almost like the hospital should have been the person that introduced you to this individual. They just happened to be your fellow chemo mate in the infusion room. Well, the way I think about it, I think about it as the new paradigm for cancer. So it's something that the world is changing and there's a bigger and bigger understanding that exercise is medicine and that patients can do so much to help themselves So the old school of just rest was atrophy. Right. And more and more the new counseling is to exercise and to build strength and immune system, to build up cardiovascular ability, to increase the stroke volume of the heart, to build up more muscle density and more capillaries so the body can be strong to fight cancer on its own. So... Did all right. So last question, before, uh, second to last question, then. Um, your wife through this process, a rock star. Oh, just incredible the way she was there through every step of the process. If anything, I should have done more to include her much sooner. I tried much too much to protect her. Right. And to say that everything was fine. But I'd come home in the afternoon and make soup and leave stuff on the stove. She'd come in later and clean up everything, the mess that I'd left behind. Right. She's just been incredible through running me through my first two marathons to continuing to press for my health and education and encouragement through every step of the process. So my last question, you mentioned that you are now a coach to cancer patients. Yes, one of the things that I did, because it was so helpful to me and I was so anxious to help other people, 
I became a certified cancer exercise trainer, an allied medical professional, and a USA triathlon certified coach, and began working at the Princeton Athletic Department, helping other young patients and in treatment and survivors swim, bike, run, do yoga, and become weight training and become healthy. It's amazing. What's a good first step for anyone? Yeah, I know. I was like, stop I, drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. Where where do you? St- I I love your story. It's amazing, and I'm like in awe of you. But I have no idea where to start. I know you say you start at the first mile. I think I was going to start at like the anti-chafing cream. <laughs> I don't have nipples, so I don't need to worry about that. Right. But no, no, where no, do you no, go after that? Reconstruction. That'll walk in. There'll be a tub of anti-chafing. Bathing it. For most people, we start with a walking program. For most people, we start just walking, so you start with where you are. So even with people who have very limited mobility, we still want to do some exercise. And there are a couple of things that I encourage people to do. I encourage people to keep an online log of their exercise. And is there a website you recommend? There are many of them. So. Facebook has an application. There's one called Map My Run and Map My Ride and another one called Training Peaks. I do Map My Run. That's but, a good one. Yeah, yeah map, map My Arteries. <laughs> oh, God. Which, Hashtag Kenny Angiogram. <laughs> whichever program you use, if you keep that log publicly online so that your friends can see it, you then have some accountability from the community around you and everyone encourages you to do more. Mm-hmm. It's also great to have a team, whether it's the team here at Stupid Cancer or just a neighbor that you regularly walk with. If somebody else is counting on you to go on that walk, then you don't blow it off because you know you have to be there for your friends and teammates. Mm-hmm. Well, David, I can't, first of all, way overdue to have you on the show, and I apologize. After seven years, you should have been the guest already. So I'm feeling a little better that you've been on the show. It's just an amazing story of turnaround and opportunity, and, and, and so many people go through the Red Death and, and all the, the, the chemo that you went through and don't come out nearly as um, efficient and uh, well, sort of well, well trained in the human body, and they don't have the support of the hospital around them or meet amazing people. So kudos to you and your wife for being a rock star. Um, and uh, so you're going to stick around. Feel free to chime in. Oh, it's so inspiring to be here. And whenever I'm out wearing my Stupid Cancer T-shirt, people come up and say hello, and they ask about you and New York City and the community that we have. So it, well, you, it, You've seen this born from nothing. It's been seven years. You're, you, we are as old as you are. The, 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 the reach is just incredible, yeah. and I see the results all the time in marathons and triathlons. Well, thank you, David Dorfman, for coming on the show. Stick around. David Dorfman, everybody. Thank you. All right, let's head up the news here real quick and then get to our guests. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty, Kenny. All right, Matt, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something will be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we got some stuff coming up in Raleigh, North Carolina, Denver, Colorado, northern New Jersey, specifically Rochelle Park, and, of course, always the We Spark Group in Los Angeles. 
Okay, like we said at the top of the show, save the date for OMG 2014. I'm saving it. The seventh annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, April 25, 26, 27, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Visit OMG2014.org. Matthew, the Stupid Cancer Store. We got tons of awesome products for you. Head on over to stupidcancerstore.org. Pick up a T-shirt, a hoodie. It's summer, but you still need them. Winter gloves, a winter hat. Get ready. It's coming. It's going to snow soon, but not really. Stupidcancerstore.org. <laughs> In Norway, maybe. Yes. The Stupid Cancer <laughs> Bring it full circle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The Stupid Cancer Forums is a premier online community to connect. With survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you, visit stupidcancerforums.org, and that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. Okay, this this show has been a long time coming. Annie, would you like to take the reins? Sure. We have Selma Schimmel. She's the founder and CEO of Vital Options International and host of the Group Room and Advocacy and Act- Action Shows. Vital Options was founded in 1983 as the first organization for young adults with cancer when diagnosed at 28 with breast cancer. Vital Options is now an international cancer communications organization. And she is joined by Terry Merrill Wilcox, and she's the creative director and supervising producer of The Group Room, Advocacy in Action, and other video media-based projects at Vital Options International. Welcome, Terry and Selma. All righty. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Matthew. I have so much psychological closure having you on the show. <laughs> Isn't that a relief, Matthew? <laughs> Especially after cancer. Yes, 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 yes. Matt, I mean, of all the pictures, you had to choose that one where I look like... Uh, I look very old in that picture. I picked that picture because it was the hottest one of you that I could find on the Internet. Check out Terry's latest pictures. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll get media clearance next time, I promise. How's that? That's okay, Matthew. I'm giving you a hard time because I always give you a hard time. And if you didn't give me a hard time, I wouldn't be who I am today. Bravo. Yes. So oh. I was going to say, how do Reaganom explain to your cancer diagnosis? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you would ask that, because it makes me recall that uh, when I was in high school, my tumor already had to be starting to grow. It's a slow-growing tumor, and he was the uh, governor. So I don't know why that came to mind, but it did, and school was closed for a very long time during a strike that we had in those old days before you were around Actually, I we wasn't around. around. I was, Annie and I were I was, around. You were nine years old when I started Vital Options. We figured Annie. that out at ASCO. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I have such a, I mean, I was. I, it's hard for me to articulate on the air to our listeners the relationship that I have with you and how much love I have for you and, and everything you've done to help me grow as a survivor and understand what my place could possibly be in the cancer advocacy community. But you are indeed, I mean, I'm officially christening you the original young adult cancer advocate here on the air. Um, And I hope you wear that badge with pride. But you went to bat for people our age when when no one went to bat for anyone, pretty much. I appreciate the acknowledgement because I have to say back in 1983, it was the most frightening, isolating 
experience also because my mother had just died of ovarian cancer and I was grieving her death. We hadn't started the Human Genome Project then. We did not know about the BRCA mutation then. And my only way at that point to function, survive, cope, was to start the organization because it was my way to bring meaning and purpose to an otherwise catastrophic experience. And I remember that in the days that Vital Options coined that phrase, young adults with cancer, how I got laughed at, literally laughed at, and the resistance initially of the physician and medical community to the idea that young adults would want to differentiate themselves, that there might possibly be myriad issues so different for this patient population than other age groups. So what strikes me more than anything in looking over my own 30 years of survivorship is not so much what has changed, but what hasn't changed, and that a young adult can still hear you're too young for cancer, mm-hmm. and yep. that the issues related to delayed diagnosis or young adults not being taken seriously, these profound circumstances that struck me when I was a young adult, to see it still today, all these years later, one of the reasons on our 20th anniversary, we launched National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week, which I want to thank you, because when we launched that to commemorate our 20 years as an organization, you were and remain a staunch supporter And I see how you tweet and Facebook and everything falls under that tagline of National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week. So I I, really appreciate all that support because it has really helped to propel that week forward on behalf of of organizations throughout the country. So before we uh, get Terry real quick, I, I just wanted you to talk maybe a little bit more about you know, again, you're you're completely accurate. Annie is right here. David, you know, was very lucky. You heard him on the air before that he um, he happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right doctor. But that is very atypical. And people like Annie and I, you know, we had to go through some enduring moments, and you know, not necessarily uh, the the best of options to you know realize we had cancer and get navigated through the right way. But we we also like to say that when the doctor says you're cured, go home, that's not the end of the story, and certainly that has not been the end of your story at 28 years old in the 80s. No, and I do want to say what I am very excited about for this next generation of, of cancer patients-to-be and young adults of today is that I think we are not only at the, you know, the horizon here of, of personalized medicine, but I believe that after many years of struggle looking at immunology, cancer vaccines, all of these things that up until very recently have met with such profound challenges, we are beginning to see a real clinical paradigm shift. And the ways in which I was treated, even you and Annie and and your listeners and other guests of today, at some point it's going to be very, very, very different. I'm now trying to enroll in a very early study looking at immunotherapy for ovarian. I think it would be fair 
and honest for me as I begin to go more and more public, which has been very hard for me. Breast cancer, I did get cured of. It's 30 years plus since I was a young adult with breast cancer. When I went in to have my ovaries out as an elective surgery, when we discovered I did have the, I was positive for the uh, BRCA mutation. We all have the BRCA gene, but all of us, not all of us, unfortunately, like me, are dealing with this mutation. Um, I have a bum one, too. I'm with you. So, you know, I did what the responsible thing is, like, you know, how many people do we know who go in and have prophylactic surgery? And I took my ovaries out and woke up to an incidental finding to be told I already had ovarian cancer, but it was confined, totally resectable, no problem, did chemotherapy, adjunct chemotherapy, just as a precautionary measure. And after my such positive results, meaning good outcome from breast cancer, I pretty much thought this would be just like my breast cancer, and it wasn't. And after more recurrences than I can count, they were all localized and, and highly treatable, but my disease did take a turn. And I think in the end, with metastatic ovarian, I don't know when it will be, but I'm now going through that process of accepting all these years later that, oops, this one is going to get me. And, you know, that diagnosis goes back to a decade already. And one would say, wow, she's lived with this disease for 10 years. Um, But it's a transition. And having been on the air like you are all and now doing uh, the video program of the group room and talking to cancer patients for 30 years of my life, you really think you know. It's like I thought, okay, I, I get all of this. But until you have to walk that walk, and I never had to walk the walk of a metastatic cancer patient, oh, I know a lot, but what I know now, having to put myself in those shoes, totally different scenario than what I thought I knew. So for the rest of my life, what I'd like to dedicate myself to is raising the bar of awareness and education on palliative care, Mm-hmm. and showing how one can coexist with quality of life with metastatic disease. And then when I have to make that transition to hospice care, that will be the next phase, but I'm not there yet. Well, you're doing a great job with everything you've done. You've definitely set the path for a Matthew, and, you know, you've, you were in uncharted waters when you were first diagnosed, and everything you've done is really amazing. And we want to bring in Terry and just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved, what you were doing with the young adult community. Just give us an introduction to who you are and what you're doing. Hello. Um, I I was uh, – I've actually been working with BioOptions for about five years or so now. I think I, I met Selma through a series of, of different events in 2008, but I'd actually met Matthew prior to that. I was working on a different video series called Understanding Cancer, and I had done – a lot of young adult video profiles on people like Matthew and Chris Carr and and um, several other people and and we and I was kind of already doing this and then I connected with Selma while she was still doing the radio show and I kind of helped produce the radio show for a little while and then we eventually sort of moved everything over into to now video for the group room we just took the title of her radio show to group room 
and made it our video interview series. And then we also started doing advocacy in action, where we do more advocate profiles and advocate um, roundtable discussions. So that's well, what I'm doing now. And and Terry, our first date, as you recall, was in Los Angeles in December of 2007 at the first ever Stupid Cancer Palooza event. And uh, you had a whole crew there. I still have the reel. It was the first official, actually professional footage that we ever had. (laughs) And it lent so much credibility to be able to embed a truly professionally done uh, reel uh, to the brand as it was just finishing up its first year of oh my god what the hell just happened <laughs> I remember I mean I remember that you did such a great interview you, I, for that and we I even tried to get you to recreate it when we were at the um, at the uh, Livestrong thing in Austin a couple of years later you said we're here this is who we are and this is what it means to be a fr- survivor and damn it we are to young Christmas that's right. I still remember right. the line. You did it. You did it very well, and 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 I, uh, I I loved doing that video, and it and it was a lot of fun. I I remember that night very well. Alcohol brings out the best extemporaneousness in me. It does. <laughs> well, you know, it does in a lot of people, Matthew. But it, it it definitely worked for you. It was a good interview. But but I can't help but mention that the stupid cancer show was actually an outgrowth of Vital Options. And many people don't know that this show was born in May of 2007, literally five months right. after I launched I got a the organization. Call, an internet radio company saying they were interested in bringing the group from a young adult component. And you and I started to brainstorm at that point. And I really honestly felt that it was right for you, Matthew. And I appreciate that. You're remembering that connection, and we pretty much said, you know, Matthew, go and run with it, and the rest is history. But uh, it makes me feel, you know, even though we went off and we were terrestrial radio and then we were on XM, it makes me still feel that even though we moved now into the video format, that the radio concept endured because... We paved the way, having to deal with radio uh, programmers calling it death radio. How can you talk about cancer in an entertainment medium? Well, but my response about life and what's more entertaining than life. Exactly, and my response to them is that tonight's show is our 271st broadcast. Uh, we have had over 3.2 million listeners across those episodes in, in six years. And we're averaging thirty to 40,000 listeners per show, which does not include our iTunes podcast subscribers. So they can kiss my ass for yeah. thinking that. But those were the, and you know what, those are the old days. I don't think today, thankfully, so much has changed from when we first started talking about cancer on the air. And your listenership and your growth is a real testament to that. And I'm very proud of you. Matthew, Annie, I have not met you, but I think what you're doing is so important. And it means a great deal to me that Terry and myself can still be included and share a voice on behalf of young adults. I would love for Terry to talk about 
the upcoming National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week because this year's theme was sparked at ASCO during one of our interviews. We should get an early start on it because it involves intimacy. Agreed. All right, go ahead, Terry. I mean, yes, please, uh, let's talk more about what Vital Options does and the impact that it has had. Um. Well, one of the big, one of the one of the major things that uh, that we've been we've been sort of really focused on lately is um, working on building our li- our library of various videos, and we've managed to make our set. We've managed to be the number one channel on a on a website called uh, the number one um, video channel on a website called Oncology Tube, which has been great. We've got all, almost we're getting close to a half a million video views. Which is you know, and then we also have our our YouTube channel, which we've been growing with the conferences. One of our major um, wh- what we really focus on is going to a lot of the cancer conferences and sitting down with key opinion leaders and trying to get them to decipher everything into language that you and I can understand. It's sometimes it's more difficult than others, as you know, Matthew. You've talked to many doctors. <laughs> sometimes they're you know, way out there, and um, sometimes they can condense it down. And those videos have been very successful for us as far as um, working with other advocate organizations to share them on their blogs if they're if they're specifically about things that their constituents or, or their their folks would would want to hear about. Um, most recently, we interviewed Marsha Bros at um, at uh, ASCO and worked with Gary Bloom at Psycha and that was a really great marriage as far as getting that content out there about the stigma of thyroid cancer and and just general thyroid cancer information in, in general because a lot of people think of thyroid cancer as a as a as a completely curable cancer and most of the time it is, but it also has this stigma for the people who who it's not necessarily in the this is you're gonna be cured camp. So We've had a lot of a lot of successes like that, as well as with the Advocate in Action series. We've done a lot of great profiles with different advocate groups and working with them, um, working with like specifically lung cancer advocates at ASCO. We did a lot of palliative care, um, put a lot of palliative care information out, and, and worked with advocates on that front. Um, we've joined forces with the Community Oncology Alliance and did some content with them last year. So we've definitely been creating partnerships to try to make pods of content for 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 many for all the different cancer types and all the different cancer interests and groups because you it's you know, as you know, it's difficult you're doing a radio show every week to to get all of that covered and you kinda have to make these big charts and figure out how you're gonna how you're you know, how you're gonna create all of that and that's what we're doing and we're starting to see sort of the fruits of our labor because now we have almost five hundred videos, you know. So we're starting right. to really see it. Terry, talk about the spontaneity of when we interviewed the doctor. I think he was the young physician from, was he from San Francisco? And you booked him. He was talking about, I think it was sexuality and young adults. And we knew in that moment that that was the theme for Awareness Week this year. Yes. um, We actually, he was, um, his name is Dr. Winston Chung. He is from actually British Columbia. Um, Vancouver. He he works there, and he did a study on um, on uh, sexuality and, and young adults 
and body image and different things like that, but he really basically did it just through data that he had already, you know, by studying already collected data. And so one of the things we're going to do for the 2014 um, National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week is work with him on a real survey and creating a whole series of content around this specific topic, which we do have a lot of young adult content, but we don't have a lot of young adult content in this kind of format. So we're very excited about where we're taking one specific topic that is so important, you know, your fertility and, and all of these issues surrounding that and kind of creating creating a video series based on, on that. And Matthew, and if we may, can we just mention that our young adult site is youngadultswithcancer.org and much, and you're in some of those videos too, our young adult video content is, is housed there and we would really love to encourage anyone who would like to not only view the video, but if they want to use the video for their own purposes, for their for their own websites, for educational purposes, that Terry will give them whatever technical links or information they need. This is all meant to share. And also, Terry, you may want to recap the amazing work of Gloria, whom I believe we introduced to you, Matthew and Annie, Gloria Borges. Yes. The young woman who started the Wonder Project. Oh yeah, the, she, yeah. We just did. Um, we just. She was our young adult. She was our advocate in action at ASCO. We did a profile on her, both the Wonder Project and um, her organization, the Wonder Glow. Well, no, her, the organization is the Wonder Glow Foundation. The project she's working on is the Wonder Project, and we did uh, a really great interview with her at ASCO, which was. She's a remarkable young adult attorney with stage 4 colon cancer who's dedicating her life to research. And I just have to say, I am so moved, inspired, and in awe of the young adult movement today. Just this feeling of, of ultimate pride and that I lived to see what for me was a dream, to see it become its own life force and it just, for me, it's, it's, I kind of feel like the mama and that what everyone is doing is an outgrowth of, I didn't have kids, but I birthed something that's living and breathing and growing every day. So I'm really proud of all of you. And Selma, what's, you know, as we wrap up our discussion, what, you know, you've seen over 30 years, the young adult movement transpire and get bigger and get more attention and get attention of lawmakers and healthcare industry and unit, you know, fertility, you know, all the progress we've made, we still have a lot to go, but with fertility and everything, what do you think, you know, as we keep moving forward, what do you think the most important part of the young adult movement needs to keep growing and means the most change? Well, I, I think one, <laughs> I hope the day comes where no young adult will ever hear, oh, you're too young for cancer. But I think that it's the young adults that are going to be critical in the comprehension, the understanding, and the adaptation of molecular pathology, owning our tissue. We really need the young adult community to own this and 
I am enormously frustrated at the number of people who get diagnosed that don't understand the value of their tissue, that aren't demanding of their doctors. I'd like to have more than microscopic um, analysis. I need not just a microscopic pathology. I need to have molecular pathology. And I think it's really hard in general for society to understand the intensity of changes that are happening on the the cancer front because it's become got to be a molecular biologist today. And so in some way young adults have the ability to fuse together their knowledge and passion for technology, and they're the ones that are going to benefit most from advances in research, especially in the new direction we're going. And I'm hoping that the leadership of the young adult movement will embrace this because we really need them, and we need them to help teach older people as well. And so, just to, just to, t- to tie in to that, uh, Selma, you'll be proud to know that for the last four consecutive OMG Cancer Summits, one of our plenaries has been on precisely that, genomics, genetics, molecular medicine, and personalized treatments. It is something that this generation has wholly rallied around as being the new way to think about what living with, through, and beyond cancer means because we're, we have the most to lose if this is not the direction we push forward in. I agree with that. that. That's absolutely true. So I know that you have the power to actualize this change, and thankfully the voices have been so elegantly and importantly mobilized here. So... Congratulations um, to all of you. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to still feel connected to the young adult community because no matter how old I am, I will always be a young adult survivor. I, My feelings, no matter how old I get, when I think of cancer, I don't think of being diagnosed a second time. All of the feelings and issues that I confronted in my 20s they're right there with me every day of my life. I and I also want to thank my Terry because I love her very much, and she's going to be a mommy of twins. Oh, and, Mazel uh, Mazel like you, Matthew. Wow. Brace yourself. Gird your loins. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good one. <laughs> um, but thank you for, uh, for letting us participate, and I hope if I can ever be of help on anything, that you will not hesitate to give us a call. Well, you've already been of more help than you could possibly understand paving the way for this. And, and my one of my fondest memories is I think it was the either the first or the second Young Adult Cancer uh, Alliance meeting in 07 or 08. Randy Rosenberg had just passed, and we were just talking about the obligations and commitments of surviving cancer and that we owed it not just to ourselves, but to those who follow in our path, to the the social contract that we have to sign uh, to be there for the next us. And and it's one of the most profound moments of my life to spend that with you, uh, as I think we were walking to the car, <laughs> literally. Um, and and that that has had more meaning to me than than a lot of things that have happened. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember that. Thank you for remembering, Randy. This is how we keep people alive. We remember their work. 
remember the impact they've had in our lives. Far more meaningful than sitting with you in front of CVS. Do you remember you yes. were in L.A. and we were sitting in front of CVS yep. on the uh, patio furniture that they were selling? <laughs> yes, mm. I do remember that. <laughs> well, here's, here's to many more of those, and, uh, and even one more is enough. So, thank you, uh, Matthew. Thank you. Matthew. I will. All right. So, thank you. Terry thank you, and, and Thelma Schimmel, thank you guys so much. The website is vitaloptions.org. Check out the group, group room uh, radio program. And uh, Young Adult National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week is the first week of April every year. So, you guys kick ass. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you. I mean, what I said, like, she has had a profound impact. I mean, without just, her, there's no you. Well, in that, well, without my parents, there's no me. <laughs> <laughs> my mother, and my father had a little something to do with it. Not even going, not even going there. Appropriate for, <laughs> for non-FDA regulated radio. Anyway, um, all right. Well, this was a good show, David. Your uh, any any part? Tell us thought. more about uh, chafing cream. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be the chief chafing cream officer of Stupid Cancer going forward. What's wonderful about what organizations have done is they created and what you've done a sense of community. Because I could never have done this alone. When I began my triathlon journey, I was welcomed by a community that was already out there. Right. And that gave me the floor, the foundation to then be able to take off with it. So I couldn't have done it without those people that that led getting that community started. And it was the Leukemia Lymphoma Society that brought us together because we were having, I think we had a meet-up in the West Village. Yes. And you came to this large, I think it was one of the first major meet-ups of the New York City group. And uh, you were there. That was we met you that day. Scott Slater was there, and and uh, was, I think Jen Rackman and Chad Rackman. That was their first time coming, like this this breakfast club of of volunteers and and advocates on that one evening that we met. Finding kindred souls and yeah. spirits, and not feeling alone, not and knowing feeling that there alone. was support and yeah. that there was a reason to be doing this. Right, and I was only thirty four. <laughs> and now you're 74. And now I feel 74. I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Maureen, how's the live tweeting been? Live tweeting's been fun. If you guys ever want to follow along, I use hashtag SC Radio. Hey. Hey, oh. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a lonely world, probably because I don't really announce my live tweeting. <laughs> but you can always, you know, follow me on Twitter, and I'll spam you every Monday night. And, and what is we'll your handle? Said. What's your handle? Maureen Sweet. Oh, that's my easy. full name. Wow. Maureen, M-A-U-R-E-E-N, the traditional Irish get, spelling. We need to get, like, uh, I'll let you finish your Twitter handle. <laughs> oh, well, oh, my last name is Sweet, like the word sweet, like S-W-E-E-T. As in N Sour. As in Ann Sour, as in Caroline, <laughs> child of mine, <laughs> Georgia Brown. Right. Wonderful. Awesome. You were saying, Kenny. Kenny wants to like a radio show handle, right? Yeah, we should give you like a radio, like like stupid cancer radio chick. Although there is a radio chick in New York City. That's right. So we'll have to come up with something. That's true. That's that's your challenge. It's a lengthy Twitter, Twitter handle. Well, every every Chat New York people. radio station has like the intern who's like, yeah, I'm from Long Island and I'm going tanning this weekend, but you're listening to uh, Z100. 
So that you that could, could be, you could be, could be that, that guy. You could be that. But yeah. with the Ohio accent. With the Ohio accent. Go Buckeyes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's your challenge, listeners. Come up with my Twitter handle for the radio show. Speaking of which, good. next week is the live call-in show, so hopefully we'll mm-hmm. get some suggestions, which is nice. Okay, well, this was a good show. It was a good show. show. I feel uh, very happy and uh, delighted that I was able to have Selma on the show. 271 broadcasts after she helped give birth to it. So incredible. Really and incredible. I and feel like I want to go run around yeah. New York City tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ride a city bike out to Long Island <laughs> and and dock it in the Great South Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what happens if you don't return it? You just your card gets charged? Probably. Yeah, you you buy, probably just bought a bike. <laughs> you bought a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> it self destructs. <laughs> it, it immediately rusts and the tires go flat. Wait, I got one all right, so how did we're we're totally drifting, but my only question is how do they not offer helmets? Is that a, like a big bone of contention? Would you really want to share a helmet with any given person? In the no, city? but you're right because it is illegal. Like you have to wear a helmet in New York. Right. It's, it's a legal it's, thing. It's legal, but I see nearly everyone I see, and they're using them. They're actually there's hundreds of all the time. The, the racks are almost empty wherever I see them. No one's wearing helmets. How does the city get away with this? Well, I did read that bike tickets are up like. Eight bazillion percent. I think that was the secret behind city bike. Yeah, that's now profitable. Now they had more income. One of the biggest uh, offenses is people who ride against traffic. It's illegal. You must ride right. with traffic. Mm-hmm. And you're also supposed to obey traffic signals. Right. Stop at stoplights yeah, for but, the entire time. But if cars don't do that, why should bikes? They stop at stoplights. <laughs> what kind of car are you driving? You know, there are implied road rules here and there. Right, right. Yeah. Are you trying to run over pedestrians when you're yeah. driving between here and Brooklyn? Exactly. Yeah. Ten points. All right. Well, on that note, uh, Citibank is not a sponsor of the Stupid Cancel Show, but the City Bikes may be giving attorneys uh, better business than they've ever had <laughs> in the city before, thanks to uh, fall, what, what do they call it? What's the term? BWIs. Biking while intoxicated. <laughs> <laughs> Slip and fall. Slip and fall. Riding through the city all day today, I was thrilled to see so many city bikes out there, but I also couldn't believe that no one was wearing helmets. Right. USA Triathlon requires certified coaches to wear helmets anytime we ride the bike because we know that other people are looking to us as an example. Right. And they can use liners. For helmets, so mm-hmm. you can have right, a brand right, right. new line. A they bandana even. A bandana. a bandana even. Like those socks at DSW, because you're trying on shoes that a thousand people have tried on. They've, they've already got your credit cards. They could have helmets right there in a vending machine type right. of system yes. with the bikes. So, yeah, like they want to have helmets like for all naps. those yes. riders. <laughs> well, a good thing people don't look to us as leaders of this organization yeah. for any <laughs> of, uh, Nutrition and wellness. Besides drinks. All right. Well, thank you, guys. This has been a great show, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, Matt, you've said it about 25 times already. This was our show, number 271. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. 
And we'd like to thank our guests, live in studio, the one and only David Dorfman. And from Vital Options, Selma Schimmel and Terry Wilcox. And we're very excited for next week's show, which is Ask Us Anything. We're taking your calls. It's time to open our phone banks for the first time and host the inaugural open mic night for the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes, it's true. We will be taking your calls all night and hopefully answering any all questions you might have about anything and everything. No holds barred. Maybe, well, we'll see. <laughs> Seriously, we're hoping for a great show from our many friends and fans from across the globe and on the interweb. Let the games begin. Let the games begin indeed. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org. Or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org anytime. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Kenny Kane. Annie Goodman, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night. Good night.